Amen. It's going to be okay. Psalms chapter 90, or Psalms 90, one verse. To be honest with you, I do have a little bit of a Valentine's Day message. Thank you, Sophie. Appreciate your heart. She's got a little list of songs she enjoys, and she sees everyone else singing. She said, you haven't asked me to sing in quite a while. <laughs> Take care of that. Psalms 90, verse 14. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we just thank you for this evening. We have the safety, we have the opportunity, the privilege to join together in your house to worship you. Father, we do thank you for the services that we've had in the previous weeks, and we can sure feel your presence. And Father, we ask you for a double portion tonight. And it doesn't matter what the circumstance says, what the weather says, what the news might say, what the world has anything to say. Father, we just simply trust that you want to do a work tonight in our lives. And you want to uh, see lives transformed and changed and see needs met that only you can meet. Father, we ask you tonight to do just that. Be with me as I preach, that you get me out of the way, that you just take the front, front and center stage. That this could be your show, that this could be your pulpit, this could be the word that you would preach, that it would not return void. That, Father, they would leave here not hearing a message about you, but hearing from you. That is our uh, expectation tonight in your son Jesus. And it's his name we pray. And amen. Psalm 90 verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy. That, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I want to read it again. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. When he means early there, he actually means as a youth, from a child up. He said, if you start early and begin to satisfy me in my life, that surely all my days I can be glad, I can rejoice in the Lord. I have uh, two sisters, most of you know, but some of you may not. I've got a sister who's four years, old, four years older than me, and I've got a younger sister who is nine years younger than me. And uh, my younger sister is spoiled rotten. I wish she was here tonight. So I can say it right to her face. I don't get to tell her enough. But she is spoiled rotten. My first car was a 1988 Merker Scorpio. Uh, it had the pump seats, the back. Uh, the hatchback that didn't work. It had a felt ceiling that had to be pinned up with bobby pins and all that kind of stuff. Safety clips. Her first car was an Audi 4 Quattro. Not exactly the same. My car, no joke, broke down on Spring Hill Mountain one night. Uh, leaving my grandmother's house. <laughs> Embarrassed, I, ca I called my dad. He said, take tags off, just leave it. I'll come get it. <laughs> Took tags off, left it there. He ended up getting it towed to a junkyard somewhere. But that was the difference. And, and you know, uh, I asked my, si uh, my father once, I asked him, how come... My, my little sister got so spoiled compared to uh, me and my older sister. And my older sister acts like she lived in the 30s in Germany, you know, during the house she was raised. But I asked her, I said, how come she was so much more spoiled than me? And I thought he would say, well, we were in a different season in our life, and, and we had made different decisions later on. But he didn't say that. He said, Brad, actually, he said, I was with a friend of mine. Chuck Barnhart was his name. And he said, uh, one day, uh, uh, Chuck started to talk about his daughter. And he said, you know, when it comes to my daughter, he said, every time uh, we go out to eat, I make sure she gets the most expensive steak. And he said, whenever it comes to cars, he said, I make sure that she gets the top-notch car that she wanted. When it comes to vacations, I let her pick. And if it's blue oceans and if it's white sands, she gets the best. And my father asked him, how come you do that? He said this. He said, I, I spoil her to the point... That only people will pay attention to her 
or as far as men, when men come around and the time of aging begins to arrive, that whoever will start to pay attention to her will have to be someone who can only love her the way that I love her. And it, 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 it started to make sense there. And he said, you know, and then I wrote this in my notes because I was, I was recollecting this account. Uh, he's, he's, it's what he said. He said, um, Greg, that way, Greg's my father, that way, when someone comes wanting to date my daughter, she won't be satisfied with anything but the best. I would have spoiled her to the point that she would only pay attention or someone would only pay attention to the way that, uh, the way that I loved her. And as God dealt with me this, in this verse, oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I'm not saying spoil your children until they're rotten. Probably won't do anything. It'll probably do more damage than good. But what I want to say tonight is I believe we're settling for so much less than what God is trying to do in our lives by spoiling us. That's really what God wants to do. And shame on us. We've, we've, we've turned our nose, but he has been so good to us. He has blessed us so much. He has, in fact, spoiled us to the point where sin should not even get our attention. I think sin, all sin, is the root of dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. If you are unsatisfied, that leads to sin. We see that in James. That when sin is conceived, it's simply because of the lust of our own hearts. But if we would be spoiled and appreciate the love of God which He has shown us, I'm telling you, sin wouldn't even get our attention. Not one bit. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That's what He's done. What manner of it? That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You see, the Bible describes this relationship in the context of the spoiling. And we see it how often in the, in the culture in which this, the Bible would have, the first, or the New Testament would have been written, that the groom would have paid a price to receive the bride from his, her father, to pay that price to, to win the daughter, to pay for the daughter, the groom would then go and, and begin to build a place upon his father's property. And then he said, listen, you stay right here and you just be ready for me because I'm going to come back for you. But he did it all. He paid the price. He, paid the, he built the building. He, 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 he secured the land. He did it all, all to spoil the, the bride. And before the celebration of the marriage commenced, we see throughout scripture and throughout culture at this time, the bride would begin to get ready. And, and a process of getting ready was, the, you know, a wedding in those days was a, a huge celebration. Not like us. I mean, we some of ours are really huge, but I mean, they would last days and they would invite hundreds and hundreds of people. But the bride would dress extravagantly. I mean, completely adorned. And But the fact is, this didn't happen after the wedding. This happened before the wedding. This was to get ready. We see still traditions of that, that the, the, groom, will, the groom will get dressed and, and the bride will get dressed and the bride won't, is not able to see the groom, but the the, the bride is ready. You know, she's gotten dressed. She's, she's all decked out. We see that today and I'm telling you, Christ wants to do that now as we prepare and get ready for him to come back. He's saying, you need to start being, uh, I'm trying to spoil you. I'm doing everything that needs to do to, to lavish this love upon you so that you may be ready to dress ourselves. We see in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. We see that, that that's, that's, that's the, the illustration that the prophet Isaiah was trying to show because they understood it. It was like a wedding. It was, it was a, a groom that was, that was trying to spoil the bride. And it goes on even deeper. Titus ties it all together in Titus chapter 2 in verses 6 through 13. He says, young man, likewise exhort to be sober minded in all things, shewing yourself a pattern of good works in doctrine, shewing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he is that of of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not prolonging, but shewing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So we say in Isaiah that... That he adorns us like a bride would adorn jewels. But Titus says it goes even further. God's trying to spoil you with the word of God. With the doctrine of God. That's what we're, he says. That's what he says right there. He says that they may be adorned the doctrine of God. Our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the God, great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So what does he say? In the world you're living today, sin should not be a problem. Sober living should not be a problem. Living godly should be a problem because our eyes are fixed on the one that has set the bar so high. Amen. Set the bar so high that nothing else will satisfy. We've been so spoiled. Listen, Jesus Christ paid my sin debt. What can the world offer me? Riches, a career, goals, nothing. He has said he has done so much. That way, the intention is that my eyes will be fixed on him until he returns for me. That's the point. And the problem is we've taken our eyes off the Lord. We've stopped allowing him to spoil us. You know, if you read the Song of Solomon, and I want to turn there, the Song of Solomon, it's that's what it is. It's It's a love song. It's a love story. And many theologians are boggled because the love is so fluid and intertwined throughout the entire thing that they are unclear in which parts are to Solomon and which parts are for Solomon. So they see it's this, this love story is intertwined throughout. But all we know is, man, it's drenched in love. And, and I believe that's how Christ looks at us. And, and I believe that's how we should look at him and as, as he tries to spoil us. And we see it because this is just a picture of Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says this. The song of songs, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth, for thy love is better, not worse, but better than wine. That's what he says. He's spoiled, I'm spoiled. How can my lips taste anything else once they've tasted the kiss of the one that I love so much? Thy love is better than wine because of the savior of thy good ointments. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. So even a good ointment brings up the illustration of not the ointment, but the one they love. Everything triggers it. And that's the thing. That's why sin cannot, and, and, and that's the thing as a Christian. When I fall into sin, when my attitude comes out, you know, and the flesh starts to rise up, the first thing I think is, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't think that. He's got so much more for me. 
He's poured so much into me. He loves me so much that, that this, seems, this seems lower than the expectation. This, you know, even the sin, I thought it would satisfy. I thought it would do its justice, but it just falls short every time. And that's what we're left with, just the stain and the guilt and the shame of it. Draw me, verse 4 says. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. And look at verse 7. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, and where thou makest thy flocks to rest at noon, for why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids besides the shepherd's tents. I have compared thee. Look right here. This is it. This is what my father was saying. Sadly, I, sadly, I didn't get to partake in that. But the illustration is, is so much deeper than what I was just trying to tell of my little sister. But he says, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses and Pharaoh's chariots. The cheeks are coming with rows of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. We will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breast. My beloved is unto me as a cluster of camp, campfire, uh, camphor in the vineyards of Egdalen, Egdenai. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast doves' eyes. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. Yea, pleasant also our bed is green. So over and over we see this love that is almost contagious. It almost emits a smell of fragrance to say, my gosh, it's so thick. And that's what God's trying to do in our life. He's trying to pour it on thick. He's trying to encompass you. I mean, you think about a relationship, but to be honest... When we wake up, he's there. When we go to sleep, he's there. All during the day, he's there. To be honest, it sounds a little bit, oh man, this guy's a little bit obsessed. This guy just won't turn it off. That is the love of Christ. To not turn it off, but to pour it on. So that way you may not be satisfied in anything else this world may have to offer. During our grief share meetings, we have a lady, super sweet lady. Uh, she comes and she's lost her husband a few years back. I think it's been several years now. And she said uh, he wasn't the most intimate person to other people. She said he didn't come off overly romantic. She said, but he would write me letters. She said he would write me letters and the letters were very romantic. And she said, whenever he passed away, she said, she got the letters out, found all of them, pals of them. And she said, I went through... Every one and reread every one. She said, and I laughed and I cried and I just took it in at that very moment and I read all of them. And then she said this, when I was finished, I tore them up and I threw them in the fire and I burned all of them. <laughs> and I said, why would you do that? And she said, I didn't want anyone else to experience what he had shared with me. And man, that's deep. That's so deep. Because that's Christ. He doesn't want us to experience what is meant for him with anyone else. He says, it's for me. 
I'm pouring this love into you that you will be not satisfied. And yet, sadly, we are so satisfied in such shallow things that are simply uh, good on the outside but have nothing. But the Song of Solomon says you literally, uh, the one that loveth my soul and the one that my soul loveth. We see that. Amos chapter 3 says this. Because I wrote this in my notes. And to live in rebellion. To live in the rebellion of Jesus Christ's love is to be satisfied with something less than the glorious love of Christ. For us to listen to any word outside of this love letter right here. For us to listen to any word outside this of our, our love letter that is penned by the hand of God is to give an ear to anything else but the whisper of God. Shame on me. Amen. Amos chapter 3 says this though. Hear this, O world, because he criticizes Israel, and I believe he speaks to much of us today. Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only, that's what he says, you only, nobody else, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? That's what he says. How can we live together in this relationship when I've known you as the only ones of the all face of the earth? I've set you apart. You are my one and only. And it says, but we cannot continue to walk together in this relationship of love if we are not going to agree upon it. And sadly, I will say this tonight, that the agreement is not being met, not on God's part, but on our part. Ephesians chapter 3, turn with me real quick. Ephesians chapter 3, starting at the 14th verse, it says something very profound. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. I'm talking about spoiling you so that no one else No one else could satisfy you. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, this is why, this is why I bow my knee. This is why, this is why I want you to know that he may grant you. This is why I'm praying that you can truly understand how much he loves you and how much he's trying to spoil you. He's trying to spoil you in every aspect of it with the riches of his glory, with the strength of his spirit in our inner man. And he's trying to dwell in our hearts by faith that we may be rooted and grounded and finally be able to get through our thick skulls actually what this love looks like. Because it is far greater and deeper than we can ever fathom. And I know marriages these days have been hijacked and this narrative of, uh, I thought about today and I even looked up today about the, the, the culture that, that brought up. We see that a woman would uh, take her last name and, and, and allow the, the husband to, to take his last name and the identity, 
you know, once again, the woman would have a maiden name and once upon marriage that she would take the name of her husband. And, and that goes back for ages and years and years. And, and now it's kind of been hijacked that we've that we've created a woman to be a, this this lesser thing than man. And, and sometimes they even tie it into the Bible. But I'm telling you, it's an identity problem. And that's the thing. When the woman would join with the man, it says that two flesh become one and they're joined together and their identity is no longer separate, but their identity is together. And we see that. And that's the thing. That's why when I join Christ, it's no longer separate. Him and me and I and him in this relationship. And now that we do these things, I do it in Christ's name because my identity is not myself, but my identity should be understood by the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. That's why he says it so profoundly in Exodus chapter 20 and 20 and verse 7 that we should not take the Lord's name in vain. We're allowed to take it. It's an identity thing to, to take Christ, to, to join in that relationship, that marriage. But they're not to take it in vain. But the Lord will not hold the guiltless to take that taketh his name in vain. But I believe the reason we get so wrapped up in sin these days, and we get so far off course, because sin and the devil will come courting. It'll come, and it's trying to entice you. It's trying to, you know, it's it's trying to make, it's trying to, it's trying to lust, it's trying to bring you out, it's trying to get you to draw you away from the heavenly Father, in which he knows, the devil knows that the heavenly, the heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ is trying to spoil you so much that it's even beyond recognition that no one else can even, no one else can even uh, compare to it. I looked this up tonight, but back in the day, before World War II, it says high school and college students generally dated multiple, multiple people. It was not, they were not, before 19, before World War II, uh, it was actually called play in the field, and they would just have multiple boyfriends and multiple go- girlfriends, and actually, uh, at around 1940, what they call is, what they called going steady. You probably heard that, it's not used as much as it used to be, but that was, that began to be a supplemental, uh, Thing in dating, it was no longer off and on, but finally committed relationships. This steady dating began to supplement casual dating uh, right after the war. And, and, and even in 1959, it said this, and I could preach on it till, till the rapture. 1959, a Ladies Home Journal article was titled this, If You Don't Go Steady, You're Different. Because it was changing, the culture was changing. It wasn't uh, one day a boyfriend here, one day. Finally, it was you were going steady. You were in a committed relationship, and and in that article, it said when when you were going steady that there were signs that you were of this exchange of this relationship. Because once again, walking down the hallway of a high school or on the football field, you didn't know if someone was single or if they were taken. But what you would see was an exchange of a piece of. Uh, jewelry or a piece of apparel and they said back in the day letterman's jackets they said if you were going steady with an individual they would uh, the football player or whatever they would give the woman the letterman jacket and that woman would wear it during school or on the football field and and that way if another man came by they would say oh he's taken she's taken i see that jacket i see there's been exchange there she must be taken and paul says in romans 13 and 14 that we need to put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. To put it on. Stop putting yourself out there. You're not available anymore. 
Stop putting yourself out there. You've been bought. You've been paid for. You're in a relationship and not a not an in and out relationship. You're going steady with Jesus Christ. And I think we need to get back to a thing where we are going steady in this love story with Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Him and allow Him to cover us with our grace. And I assure you, no sin will have anything to do with you. The psalmist said... Satisfy us early with thy mercy. Start early. My dad started early on my little sister. And man, she's spoiled rotten. Jesus Christ started the minute you were conceived. And even before it, before the foundations of the earth, he knew you and had a plan for you. And he's been trying to spoil you with his love from day one. That way, when the devil comes by, say, hey, I've got something for you. You're on a whole nother level to say, what is it compared to? Because I want to show you the love that I know, the love that loves me. And I'm going to ask Mike and Sonny to get a, I'm not going to carry much longer, but I want to read one more set of verses. Ephesians chapter two. We're going to get an invitation tonight. And if you've never experienced this love, listen, I don't know where your heart's at. You've never experienced this love. I'm telling you. You are selling yourself short. This world does a decent job. I'll give it that. But it does nothing compared to what Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, the world, they'll love you until they, they, they don't, until they don't have a need for you. And they'll drop you off like a bad habit. But Jesus Christ said he'll go with us all the way. Never leave us. Never forsake us. He will walk every mile all the way to the end. Because that's what true love does. But Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at the first verse. And he hath, and you he hath quickened, who were dead in trespasses in sin. Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had our conversations right here in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were nature, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. That is what he is. He doesn't put it on a little bit, he overflows it. I mean, I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've been, if, you, if you've ever been under conviction and God begins to work on you, you say you can't get it off. You, you can't take a shower. You can't run far enough away. He puts it on so thick. You go, what is this? I can't get rid of it. It's what it looks like to actually experience rich in mercy. Rich in mercy to love us in our unlovable state. To love us when we're not, we don't even want it. And he turns it on, and I'm so thankful that he does, because now that I've truly experienced it, there's nothing else can satisfy. We said it. I said it here, and Megan will say it. I love my wife unconditionally. Oh my gosh, I am so in love with my wife. But I'll say it, and she'll say it, and God bless her for saying it. But it does not compare to my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's on a whole other level. She, man, she does a good job. She's, <laughs> I can't be loved anymore. But when it comes to Christ's love, there's just something there. There's something deep. But he says this, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved and hath raised us up together 
and made us. Look at the spoiling that Jesus Christ is trying to do. He's trying to spoil us. If you can't, if you can't get a hold of that, you need to get into His Word. Let Him speak to your heart. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Man, that's good. Amen. That's what He wants for our lives. That in the ages to come, He might shew the exceedingly riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Man, as if it's not enough. What is he, Paul saying what? Wait a minute, it's not, you, you, you came and you paid my debt for sin and, and you secured my eternal glory and you've given me a, a place in heaven, but wait a minute, you're saying that actually in the ages to come there'll be more? He says, I haven't begun. <laughs> it passes understanding that you can truly comprehend what is the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God. That's what he says. Folks, tonight, Jesus Christ wants to spoil you. He does. He wants to spoil you to the point that there is nothing in this world. I'm telling you, there are people who are alcoholics who fall in love with Jesus Christ, and alcohol doesn't even even tempt them anymore. I'm telling you, there's people that have had addiction to whatever, you name it. And Jesus Christ has spoiled them, and they say nothing else will satisfy you say, how in, the, how in the world did you stop that? You just, man, you quit that like a bad habit. I don't know. Jesus Christ came into my life and he, he just did something. And now it doesn't even, doesn't, I don't have a desire. I don't have an appetite. It's all I want is Jesus Christ. That is what he wants to do for you tonight. He wants to spoil you to the point that the devil will come by. Let me just say this because God's given it to me. God bless him for doing it. I think of Job. Remember? When Satan came up to the throne and had to give an account for where he was, he said, God said to, to the devil, he said, where have you been? He said, you know, to and fro. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan didn't even second guess it. He said, I can't do anything with him. <laughs> he said, you've blessed that man so much, I can't even do anything with him. Now, the devil thought that that, 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 Ability to resist those temptations that the devil's offered was based on material things, but God knew better. He said, no, no, no. The reason he, the reason he doesn't give you the time of day is because he knows me. He knows me dearly. And if you strip all that away, I assure you, nothing will change. And sure enough, he did. And sure, it got hard. But that's the thing. I want you to get to a point in your relationship with Jesus Christ when the world begins to offer and begin to tempt and try to draw you out. You say, listen, you've got nothing to offer me. Because I have one that loves me and that loves my soul. Loves my soul. And my lips have tasted something that is greater than wine. And that is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him tonight, listen, we wanna, we're gonna go get a song right now. And you come get a song, Mike, and we wanna pray. If you say, I don't know what to do. I just feel like God's moving tonight. You come up. We wanna pray with you. Hey, let God do the work. He's the one that can spoil. We can do a decent job, but Jesus Christ, man, he can do all that is needed in your life tonight.